Well, if you would kindly return from the foyer, return to the place where you'll be seated for the next period of time. Again, it is my honor and my joy to have uh, Rich Bennett join us. Um, Rich, if you want to come up. I say, Lord, I ask that you would, in your kindness, allow us to hear from this man. Lord, not that our minds would simply be engaged, but that you, by your Spirit, would move our hearts. You would set aside the weight that some of us carry in, the distractions of this world that we'd be able to focus on you, that you would be glorified, that you would be seen in your word, through your word, and you would be heard through this man for your glory and our good. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Hope Chapel. Great to be back with you. As Kurt referenced, uh, was with you my first month in the role, January 2017, and it's been my privilege ever since for the last five and a half years uh, to lead our pro-life local ministry here in Colorado Springs Life Network that operates our three Colorado Springs pregnancy centers. And I will touch on a little bit of what we do along the way, uh, but uh, also in Kurt's kind earlier introduction, he uh, uh, said that uh, we won't have a normal speaker this morning. So I'm your abnormal speaker this morning. Uh, but obviously from a cultural word, worldview standpoint, uh, we're all abnormal if we're living according to how God has called us to live. And I think the life arena is one where our culture has uh, really seeded and confused and lied to so many people in our world, and our culture, and I'll talk about that as well. Uh, we touched on in prayer earlier uh, the fact that Roe versus Wade is no longer the law of the land. Just weeks ago, that changed. And with that, we're hearing more than ever, really, about the life issue and when life begins. Of course, when the value of life is talked about in the news, it's often talked about from a political perspective. But long before life was a political issue, it was a biblical issue. And that's the primary lens that I want to bring this morning. We're going to reflect on the value of new life, the treasure of eternal life with Christ, and what it looks like to live life abundantly. In doing that, we'll also examine where our culture has been deceived when it comes to valuing life. And I want to equip you with some ways to think about discussing issues of life and when life begins and why life matters from a biblical perspective and beyond. So there are some things that we just know to be true, right? And on this first slide here, we'll do a little history flashback. If you remember history class uh, when you were in school, or maybe some of you are still in school, uh, we, we learned about a French leader called Napoleon. 
There he is, right there. So you think about Napoleon. What was he, besides being the tyrannical leader of France, what was he best known for? Like, what trait? He was short, exactly. We even have the Napoleon complex uh, as, as a result of the fact that what's been taught to us is that Napoleon was a short individual. Now, I don't know how many of you are classic movie fans, but my family and I enjoy classic movies. And one of those other things that we've just come to know to be true, well, first of all, the fact that Casablanca is an all-time classic film, right? And there is a classic line that, probably the most cited line that we hear from that movie, play it again, Sam, right? Heard that over and over. And as I think, look at our young people and some of us older people and some of us in between people. One of the things I know that I learned when I was in school, and my kids heard it and learned it as well, is that if you swallow gum, <laughs> gum stays in your body how long? Seven years, that's exactly what I heard. My son heard for life, like, wow, that's, <laughs> that's serious. But seven years, those are, those are all three things that we've come to know and probably believe because we've heard them repeatedly. The fact is, none of them are true. So let's go to the first one. Napoleon was five foot seven. By today's standards, that would put him a little bit on the south of normal. Um, but actually, at that time in France, that was two inches taller than the average Frenchman. So how did he come to be known as short? Well, he was always surrounded by much larger hench henchmen and became known as the little general relative to those around him. But he actually wasn't short for his time. Who could forget the classic line, play it again, Sam? in Casablanca. You should forget it, because it was never said. Those of you who know the film well know that what was actually said is the much less quotable, if she can stand it, I can play it. Look it up. Watch the movie again. You won't find that on a t-shirt or a coffee mug. It's not quite as snappy, uh, but that's the actual line in the film. And of course, the myth of gum staying in your body. Uh, we have a staff of seven nurses that have assured me that gum is processed much like uh, any other food. Now, I'm not endorsing young people swallowing gum, um, but the good news is it is not going to stay trapped in your body forever. Now, all of these are oft-repeated falsehoods that are pretty harmless, right? But what they illustrate is that if something is repeated frequently enough, eventually people will assume it to be true. Psychologists call this the illusion of truth. And this was a guiding strategy for the Nazis during World War II, where a Nazi leader, Joseph Goebbels, at the time said this, if you repeat a lie often enough, it becomes the truth. Now, not really, right? But the point underneath that is if something is repeated frequently enough, it comes to be seen as truth. Now, truth is truth. That's not reality. And when it comes to the issue of valuing human life, there are many lies that have chipped away how our culture values life. And because they've been frequently repeated, they're widely believed, but have been far from harmless. 
Now, certainly when it comes to the life issue, we absolutely celebrate the overturning of Roe. Tens of thousands of lives will be saved in the months and years ahead. And for that, we praise God. The reality is the majority of states are still going to permit abortion. And as things are starting to shake out in our country right now, it looks like there will be 20 states that will have profound protections for the preborn. So about 40%, that's not about 40%, it's exactly 40% of states that will have profound protections for the preborn. There are going to be 24 that have what I would call viability laws. Somewhere between 15 weeks, most right around that 18 to 24 week mark. Um, and that is when uh, abortions will no longer be legal. And then you have six states that allow abortion up until birth. And sadly, that's where we find our state, the state of Colorado. Our state leaders have bought the lie that preborn life has no value and under Colorado law has no legal protections. And this next slide here, I find actually a little bit hard to, to watch, but if you want to know what it looks like for those captured by lies to perpetuate lies, earlier this year, our Colorado legislature passed and affirmed the fact that preborn life has no protection and continued our status as a state that allows abortion throughout a woman's pregnancy. And it's painful to see lawmakers celebrating this tragic law. That said, unbelievers caught up in the lies of the world are not the enemy. As believers, our enemy is Satan. And the gospel calls us to something tough, which is to have grace for those living far from God. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 25 and 26, shares that those who oppose truth must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Now for me, the idea of being taken captive is one of those truths of scripture that's had the most profound impact on my life and faith journey. That truth should lead to extending grace. And when I see an image like that, and uh, I showed earlier, and I might get a little bit uh, angry or frustrated uh, remember that these people don't have what I have, what we have. Our heart response as believers should account for the reality that those who don't know God have been taken captive by the lies of the enemy. Not unlike a prisoner of war has been taken captive. The fact is, the conclusions our society has drawn over the last five decades on the value of human life have been shaped principally by those far from God. As Christians, the Bible calls us to value life from the womb to the tomb. And I believe that it's the lies regarding the devalue of life in the very earliest stages, the preborn, that's now led to a world over the last 50 years that disregards the lives of the special needs, the elderly, and other human beings who are somehow seen as less than. So let's look at a few of these myths and deceptions. I think perhaps the greatest lie regarding valuing human life is that preborn life has no value. That's the lie 
that our state leaders have currently bought, or that somehow those yet to be born are less valuable than those outside the womb. And as the church, it's important to us that we know what is true, what does the gospel say when it comes to valuing life. Now, I was in my early 20s when uh, my wife and I uh, got plugged into a uh, community group. You all call them small groups? Care groups. There you go. So our care group was a group of, of nine couples. And there were eight of us that were in our 20s. And then we had a sage wisdom group uh, couple. They were in their 30s. <laughs> and the gentleman in that couple was a guy named Mike. And Mike was a, a president of a local bank, um, but really knew a lot about Scripture and was really a mentor to many of us. And I remember Mike saying something in our, my first year of marriage in my early 20s that at that time I had never heard before, even growing up in the church. He said, when it, when I, when it comes to uh, voting on leaders, the first thing I look at is where do they stand on life? And I thought, wow, of all the things that you could look at, that's the thing that you look at first and foremost? Why is that? And out of that question, uh, a group of us actually did a four-week study on all that Scripture has to say about life. And we don't have four weeks' worth of time, but I'm just going to highlight a few key passages uh, that I remember Mike taking us through in terms of what Scripture says is true about life. For starters, we know in the first chapter, the first book of the Bible, book of Genesis, God tells us that as men and women, we were made in the very likeness of the God of the universe. We were the high point of his creation, set apart as very good when you look throughout chapter 1. In chapter 2, uh, we build on that and we see that uh, we, were, we were created in the very image of God uh, and knew us by name. Jeremiah 1.5 builds on that and tells us, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. When it comes to being known by God, it's an eternal continuum. He knew us before we were even in our mother's womb, and he'll know us all the way through, and if we know him into eternity. One book before that, in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, the prophet says this, Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, and plead the case of the widow. When you consider that the lives of 60 million human beings have been eliminated by abortion in the last 49 years, it's easy to argue that the preborn are the most oppressed people group in our country. And all too often, a woman facing an unexpected pregnancy is our culture's widow. Then there's this poetic description of new life from Psalm 139. And I'm actually going to read from the New Living Translation because I love how this particular translation reads, which says this, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together 
in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was even born, every day of my life recorded in your book, every moment laid out before a single day had passed. That passage is true of each and every one of us. And as we step through these passages and more with my friend Mike, I realize that as a believer, I had no choice but to conclude that preborn babies are loved by God and that human life matters deeply to him. And as we've talked about, if you're far from God, these truths are hidden to you. Now, for years, we have heard repeat, repeated that what's growing inside a pregnant woman isn't a new life. It's a blob of cells or a blob of tissue. But in the near 50 years since Roe versus Wade, developments in science have made the notion of life as a blob of cells one that we hear far less. Why? Because it's so obvious that it's untrue. When a mom facing an unexpected pregnancy meets her baby via ultrasound for the first time, it is a powerful moment. And that happens every day in our three pregnancy centers. It becomes clear that that baby is a human life. Now this here is an ultrasound of an abortion-minded client that I share with permission that I'll call Anne. And this is about 12 weeks into her pregnancy. And she was indeed shocked that she could see her baby's heartbeat and form so clearly. That's my baby, she said. And the nurse replied, not only that, but you could see that your baby is sucking her thumb. And through tears, Anne chose to parent this little one. Today's ultrasound technology gives us a window into a mother's womb that didn't exist at this same level in 1973 when abortion became legal nationally. Today, science joins scripture in being on the side of life. Now, what's largely replaced this notion that preborn life is a blob of cells in our culture is the notion that the life in the womb is less valuable than the human life outside of the womb. And that's when you start to hear language like uh, a woman's choice. But the fact is that the most common defenses for this view don't stand up to reason, let alone scripture. Bioethicist Scott Klusendorf steps through the four most common myths claiming that a preborn life is less human or less valuable than a baby that's been born. There's a handy acronym that makes these four things easy to remember. SLED or the SLED test. How many of you have heard of that? Okay, a handful of you. You'll all know it by the time we leave. Uh, SLED stands for level of development or size, level of development, environment, and degree of dependence. And we'll actually unpack uh, each one of these four uh, using my family as an analogy. So that's my family today. Uh, my wife Stephanie couldn't be with me this morning. Uh, we've been married 28 years, and we get to own and operate these two awesome 20, early 20-something people. I still feel like I'm talking about somebody else when I think about two kids in their early 20s. But uh, my son Parker is 23 and uh, just graduated from UCCS. My daughter Macy is a junior at John Brown University. But this is us today. This is us 
turn back the clock, let's see, uh, this would be about 20 years ago now. And so uh, we look a little different then. Uh, I was a little skinnier then, I'm pretty sure. Um, but uh, there we are. Uh, my wife, I've shared this with permission, ladies. This is uh, my wife who was pregnant at the time with our daughter, Macy, uh, about six months into that pregnancy, and our little toddler dude, Parker, who was two, two and a half at the time. So um, with these pictures in mind, let's look at size. Preborn babies are smaller than those that have been born. So there's my son, Parker, and actually he's hanging out with a sled, appropriately enough. He's obviously shorter than my wife and myself. Does that make him less human somehow? Of course not. So why would Macy, in my wife's womb, on the notion of size, be less human? Size does not determine our humanity. How about level of development? So I mentioned Parker is a toddler dude here. That's his level of development. Uh, Macy is in a fetal level of development. We're at, my wife and I, back then, uh, were at a level of development of adults. Um, does the, our level of development make any of us more or less human than another? Of course not. Parker and Macy are no less human here than the first picture I showed. Level of development doesn't determine our humanity. How about environment? Preborn babies are still in the womb. Some would argue that if they're still in the womb, they aren't fully human. But where we are doesn't determine our humanity. So right about this same time, we got to take a trip to Florida and we went in that big tube in the sky to get there. We weren't less human when we were 30,000 feet above Earth in a different environment. Environment doesn't determine our humanity. And lastly, degree of dependence. And this might be the one that you hear most cited at all. Well, a preborn baby can't survive outside of a mother's womb. Well, first of all, there's a scientific development uh, that, that wasn't true in 1973. Uh, Preborn babies are routinely born alive 21, 22 weeks. Uh, and so uh, to deny life after just to not belies that reality. But more than that, our level of dependence doesn't determine our humanity. Now, Parker here at age two was not ready for us to set him out on the porch and pack his bags and say, all right, Parker, you made it to two, go with God. <laughs> he wouldn't have made it. He was still highly, incredibly dependent on us, just as Macy, his sister in the womb, was as well. Degree of dependence does not determine if you are human. You are the same being now as you were when you were a fetus. From the, from the moment of conception until now, there's been no change to your DNA, no change to your nature. You were valuable then, you're valuable today, and you'll be valuable tomorrow. And in fact, that message of being valuable and you having tremendous value is central to our in-school program called Education for a Lifetime, which 
Alan Hunter uh, leads that program for us here, and you might get the chance to talk to him after our service. But this is a Life Network program in 23 area high schools last year that helps students understand that they have tremendous value and that can prevent unhealthy decisions when it comes to relationships and sexuality. And actually, Hope's very own Aubrey Sathry, did I say that right? Not really. <laughs> say three. Oh, I was close. All right. She starts with us tomorrow uh, to uh, be trained as a nurse, as one of our trainers, to proclaim what is true about the valuable youths in our city. Now, we can't share chapter and verse in terms of what is true scripturally, but it turns out the Bible works, and what is true medically, which we can share, lines up with scripture. And actually, Aubrey will be a part of that starting next week. Shifting back to new life, you may not know this, but our state, the state of Colorado, actually six years before Roe versus Wade, uh, made its own decision on abortion and was the first state to legalize abortion in 1967. What paved the way for both that decision and then later the Roe versus Wade decision that's since been overturned were claims by groups like the, North, the, the National Abortion Rights Action League, or NARAL. It's a group that still exists today. It was founded by two gentlemen. One of them was an abortion doctor at the time uh, who had already performed thousands of abortions. His name was Dr. Bernard Nathanson. And there were two claims that were repeatedly made by Nathanson and others at NARAL. The first was this. This was in the 60s, prior to either one of those decisions, that there were a million women getting illegal abortions annually. And then the second claim was, and we still hear this today, most are in back alleys and dangerous. The facts said otherwise. In fact, there were less than 100,000 women a year getting illegal abortions. Not zero, but 90% less than the number that was being proclaimed. And almost all of them were being performed under the table, outside of the law, by physicians. There were very few so-called back alley abortions. And in fact, those facts aren't in dispute. And one of the reasons now that they're not in dispute is that NARAL co-founder, as God would see fit, brought him to Jesus Christ. And he became pro-life later. And he wrote a book. And in his book, he shares this. I confess that I knew the figures were totally false. But the overriding concern was to get the laws eliminated and anything within reason that had to be done was permissible. The data, which served as the basis for our state and then later our country to legalize abortion, was rooted in lies. Another pervasive lie today regarding life is that those who are pro-life are somehow anti-choice or judgmental individuals. Today, every woman in our state has three legal options when she becomes pregnant. She can parent her child, sadly she can abort her child, or she can make an adoption plan. And at our three Colorado Springs Pregnancy Centers, we will talk about the implications of all three of these options. And in fact, about half of the women that God brings through our doors come in 
abortion-minded or even abortion-determined. They believe the lie that that's the best option for them. And in those moments, we extend grace and compassion. I will tell you, our team of staff and volunteers hear a lot of hard stories, uh, people who have been through a lot of hard things that have led them up to that moment in time where they're facing an unexpected pregnancy. We get the chance to help her process through, to just take a breath, and him as well. We really want to make sure that the father of that baby gets the opportunity to be seen and heard. We offer a free ultrasound so that she can see how far along that she is. And in fact, we are on pace this year to provide nearly 1,000 ultrasounds, each one potentially saving a life. And over 87% of the time that a woman receives an ultrasound like the one that I shared earlier, she chooses to parent her baby. This is a huge part of what Life Network gets to do. Introduce women to their babies so that they can make an informed choice, an informed decision. And as followers of Christ, we're not only called to value the lives of preborn babies, but the lives of those moms and dads as well. And we want them to know that they not, we want them to not just have life, but to get to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. I want to share a story of a young woman that we met within the last year at 19 years of age that I'll call Allie. And when Allie came to us, she was pregnant and desperate for help. After we confirmed her pregnancy through an initial medical grade pregnancy test, she told us that she would have to get an abortion. The father of the baby wasn't intending to stay involved. Her finances were extremely tight, and a baby just was not part of her plan at that time. And all of these factors play key roles in whether a woman decides to parent. Will I be supported? Do I have the resources to do this? And can I adjust to something that I didn't intend to happen, at least at this moment in time? But after Allie met her baby via ultrasound and saw the resources available to her, she chose life for her little girl. She began meeting regularly with her volunteer parenting coach. And as she did, she began to gain confidence. She received baby and maternity clothes. She ultimately earned a crib and a car seat through her parenting program. Most significantly, she began to understand what love looks like through her coach, who in her words, became like a mother to me. Six months later, Allie received what she ultimately needed most of all, a relationship with Jesus Christ. So often, it's when people are at their most broken that they realize running from God isn't working. As Christians, the gospel calls us to share Christ with others. And our staff and our volunteers get a very special opportunity in those moments of brokenness to share Christ with those that God brings through our doors. And Allie was one of 69 clients from the last year who are now followers of Jesus Christ. As the church, we want to value new life. We want to share what it means to have eternal life. And we also want to see people live life abundantly. And one of our guiding verses in our ministry is this one from John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came, Christ came, that they may have life 
and have it abundantly. As believers, we shouldn't just be pro-life. We should be pro-abundant life. There are many stated goals in the pro-life arena. Vote pro-life like I talked about earlier. Save babies and abortion. And these are all important, but these alone won't change hearts. And I believe that the ultimate goal of pro-life Christians should be that every child is welcomed into the world by a mother and a father who love each other, love their child, and love Jesus as much as possible. That's what we want to see happen. Only then will young women, young men, and their babies truly experience life abundantly. We believe that every child deserves a chance at life and then a confident, equipped, God-honoring mom and dad. And this is why we have women and men in our city who serve as volunteer parenting coaches, meeting with new parents every other week. And currently, there are about 150 women and about 60 men who are being coached and mentored in our parenting program. And as they participate in that coaching, they earn the majority of the resources, like Allie, that they're going to need. Above and beyond that, we also offer on-site professional counseling. And to be pro-life for us means not only caring for mom and dad and providing for their circumstances and their parenting journey, but so many of those young people have experienced deep trauma. They might be dealing with suicide ideation, things that are, require above and beyond care. And that's where we have on-site professional counseling that is above and beyond what a parenting mentor can do. Another way we help women and men live life abundantly is to help them recover from a past abortion experience. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there are several members of our staff and many of our volunteers that have had a past abortion. They've sought forgiveness and healing from God, and now they redeem that experience by helping other women and men who are feeling hopeless or overwhelmed in the face of an unexpected pregnancy. We have a program called Bridges of Hope that confidentially provides hope and healing to individuals who have experienced a past abortion. And I'd love it if everyone here would take note of this information behind me. Maybe take a picture of it with your phones. Because whether it's true today or in the future, one in four people around us have experienced a past abortion. You very likely know somebody, and you already may know who those somebodies are, or, or maybe God will bring that to the forefront in the weeks ahead. But know this, uh, there is hope and healing in the wake of a past abortion. Whether that's you or someone you know, uh, our God is big enough to cover all sin, and that, of course, includes the sin of abortion. The last opportunity to live life abundantly that I want to touch on is living out your faith by getting personally involved in valuing life in our city. And my uh, three years ago, I was in a church like this one, and I shared a message like this, and a gentleman came up to me after, and he said, I'm tired of pretending to care about life. And I was like, wow, what does that mean? I've never heard that before. And he said, well, I've said that I'm pro-life, but I've never done anything about it. Maybe I voted accordingly, but I've never really done anything about it. 
And so uh, this gentleman uh, went on a journey with us and signed up to be involved in our fatherhood program, got trained to be a fatherhood coach. And for the last two and a half years, he's been coming alongside young men in our city, pouring into three to four of them at a time. And by that, I mean he meets with them individually. But he's got three or four clients uh, that he's regularly meeting with and watching how God is using him to see them get the confidence and the training and, to re- and a relationship, uh, just seeing profound growth through that. And I can't tell you how many times I have heard volunteers say that I get more out of this than our clients do. And that's a profound statement when I see the transformation that happens with our clients. I heard it shared earlier in service that there are nine volunteer opportunities available here. Um, That's true of those opportunities too. Uh, God uses each one of us, stretches each one of us beyond maybe where we're comfortable uh, and can do profound work through each one of us. And so starting with those opportunities here and then prayerfully considering are there volunteer opportunities with us at Life Network that God might be calling you to? Right now, I can tell you our top three needs are parenting coaches, motherhood and fatherhood coaches. Um, Those 996 ultrasounds that we've provided in the last 12 months means there's 996 potential points of impact. So our parenting program is growing. We need individuals who are willing to be trained to be client advocates. We opened a third pregnancy center just over a year ago and continue our, to looking for people who want to be trained to come alongside young women and young men. And, and know this, uh, it, is, it is a few months before you are uh, uh, turned loose to do those appointments uh, on your own. There's going to be a, a considerable amount of training before that happens. Um, just up the street is our Life Network thrift store. How many of you have been there? A few of you. Uh, So 5406 North Academy. You could almost walk there from here. Uh, We opened that almost three years ago. Uh, Always looking for volunteers. If you just have two hours to spare each week, I will tell you that there is an awesome community that has grown up. uh, About 35 individuals that faithfully volunteer in our store. And we continue uh, to need more volunteers for that. Those are just three of many ways through Life Network and other areas of our city that you can live out a pro-life commitment. Uh, There's a group in our city called Pikes Peak Citizens for Life. If you're on the more political mindset, plug in with them. See what needs do they have uh, to see uh, in that realm how life could be valued in our city. All of the ministry I've talked about this morning at Life Network is made possible through the generosity of churches like this one and individuals. And so above and beyond, first making sure uh, that you're doing what God calls you to do to support here. If that's something you want to talk about, I would love to talk to you about that after. And then prayer. Uh, it was mentioned earlier, and, and I'll, I think I said uh, 6 to 7, and it made it sound like 67. 6 to seven individuals, women, every day wake up searching for desperate options in our city, searching terms like abortion, abortion pill. So if you wake up in the morning, join me in praying through the reality that there are six women in our city every day who are considering abortion. 
Above and beyond that, if you want to be a part of our monthly prayer list, that's something else that we could sign you up for, where you can be praying specifically week to week. What are those things that's happening in our city that need prayer? And I will tell you that all of what God is doing through Life Network wouldn't be possible without the prayers of his people. As we enter a post-row world, I hope you will join me in fully embracing the value of new life. You won't miss opportunities to share the hope of eternal life with those who need him, and you'll seek ways to help others live life abundantly. And lastly on that, there may be somebody that God has brought into your life just in the last few days or weeks. Uh, maybe a young woman who uh, is a single mom. Uh, maybe it's a family member uh, who is just really going through a difficult time. These are all pro-life moments. Moments where you can care for the lives that God has brought to you. Step into those prayerfully and don't miss the opportunity to be used profoundly and to actually be blessed more than you're blessing them when God uses you to see abundant life happen. Let me pray. Lord, we are thankful for life, the amazing blessing of new life, and I pray for protection for the littlest and most vulnerable in our city. I ask that you help us to stand up for all those who can't stand up for themselves and to value life at every age and stage. Help us to live in a way that brings you glory and to actively seek ways that help others around us have eternal life and live life abundantly. And we ask these things in your son's precious name. Amen.